Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I am Dr. Danielle Campaign. I am your American Ambulance Medical Director. Um, today, I am here with a co-host, Dr. Sajan Bhakta, um, who works at CRMC uh, with me. And today we have a special guest. Um, we have Dustin Goldbaum, your American Ambulance paramedic. He's in the field, works with you guys. And um, he's here to give us his firsthand account of his experience with a COVID patient that he transported recently. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of Americans' family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Hi, Dustin. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you uh, share with us what brought you into paramedicine? What led you down this pathway? Um, Well, it started in Los Angeles County. I was a cadet with the uh, fire department. And then um, got into becoming an EMT, was not familiar with EMS at the time, um, and worked for Schaefer Ambulance down in uh, the uh, Mazusa Monrovia area, just kind of north of uh, Pomona. I, I remember my first EMS call was uh, a hypoglycemic patient, so that was really cool to see as my first uh, call as a new trainee EMT. Um, so started really enjoying that side and learning that I just kind of wanted to do more. Um, I kind of got bored with just, uh, you know, just doing the basic life support stuff and the the transfers. And I had the opportunity to go to medic school down um, and ended up in Kern County called the uh, University of Antelope Valley is where I went. Saw what I didn't like in medics and saw what I really liked in medics. And I've been here for just over five years, a uh, preceptor for about just over two years. And uh, again, in LA, I had about three plus years of uh, experience as an EMT running 911 with uh, LA County and the other smaller departments. Well, great. Well, thank you for being here today and for sharing your experiences. So go ahead and tell us about a COVID case you've had or a COVID case you've experienced and uh, please share that with us. So uh, we got called for a unknown man down, but PD called us code two. So that we knew it could be literally anything. On scene, we arrived to a sergeant and maybe eight other police officers, all wearing N95s and gloves, uh, with one uh, patient, uh, at that time was a suspect, a patient, uh, handcuffed, sitting on the ground. She was uh, tested for rule-out COVID, and results were pending. She had a dry cough. The sergeant told me that the jail is actually set up for people with possible COVID. So the reason they called us was when at time of arrest, she started banging her head against the squad car and then the tree. So they needed her uh, medically evaled and assessed uh, to see if she's good enough to go to jail or if she needs to be assessed at the RMC. I had my trainee with me and myself, my partner. I just had him stay up front, maybe give us the clean supplies that we might need so we, he doesn't get contaminated because it's no he doesn't need to be involved if he doesn't need to be. I gown up, 
full PPE, so that's gown, goggles. Uh, I wore N95 and gloves. So I go make contact at a distance. Uh, patient, not talkative. She now, is quick not- question for you. Did she have a mask on during this time <clears throat> or no? She did not. Okay. So this is where actually the call gets amped up. So I'm full PPE. Officers are at their six-foot distance surrounding her. I'm the, I'm the quote-unquote good guy here. I'm just trying to help. Uh, not having it. Um, so I asked her about the head pain. She mumbled, um, and I asked her if I could take a blood pressure. Didn't go along with the assessment, so I pulled back and spoke to the sergeant again. We're not able to assess because she's not cooperative, but the issue is that she needs to be assessed per their policies, and she's in their custody. So what do you want us to do? The options are that she can go by handcuffs to the rail. If the officer would gown up in full PPE, he would have to come with us, which would not be optimal because if she's positive, why would we put another person that doesn't have to be back there through it? Uh, So the option was she needs to put on a surgical mask or it's going to be a spit hood and four-point restraints. So I go back to the patient with the sergeant's approval. I, I just was like, hey, Here's what's happening. Here's the program. You're you're in their custody. They need to get you medically eval because you banged your head against the door in the tree. You have a wig on. Can I take the wig off? She, I, I tried to. She moved, violently moved her head and said, you know, explicit, you know, explicit words. And I was like, okay. I pulled back. She's not going to comply with anything. <clears throat> Go back to the sergeant. We come up with a plan that uh, my partner and I gowned up. We're going to try to get her. Uh, the spit hood on her and then put her on four point restraints so the officers wouldn't have to gown up themselves. So trying to put the spit hood on over a combative patient. So that was difficult, but we got it. She calmed down. We were able to put her in four point restraints. Uh, we didn't put her in swimmers because again, she basically went with the program until we brought her inside the ambulance. She was able to bow her head and then grab, like, she's very flexible, bow her head down, bend down, grab the tip of the spit hood with her hands restrained, and then ripped it, which ripped her wig off as well, so I was able to eventually see the head. She's saying she's yelling, she's claustrophobic, she can't do this, and so we try to establish new rapport again and be like, hey, will you, are you okay with, you know, can you calm down, can you just go with the program? And she starts banging her head against the wall. Well, we can't have that. So I go to lay her down flat. That's when uh, she just looks at me and just spits twice right in my face. One landing on just the top of my goggles, one landing on my hair. So I wasn't very <laughs> not stoked about that being a possible COVID case and having, um, you know, uh, oral secretions on me. Uh, we were able, with my assistance of my partner, to control the head, to put a new spit mask on. And about maybe two minutes in a row, she realized that, look, she's, you know, we're not going to let her hurt herself. So, and she calmed down, started going with the program and allowed assessment. After the triage at RMC, and we got her into bed, uh, I guess in the results were on the file and she was negative for COVID. So, made me much, much happier of a person, but um, definitely wasn't happy. And if I didn't take that pragmatic approach um, with gown, goggles, gloves, and it was positive COVID, you know, I'd be off for 14 days. 
Yeah, it's wonderful that you're wearing your PPE and following those PPE guidelines because getting spit out in the eyeballs or anywhere would have been horrible with a COVID <laughs> case, let alone an, even a non-COVID case is horrible to be spit on. Um, so thank you for being here and for sharing your story. My pleasure. Thank you. Wow. That is amazing. I'm so glad that he was wearing all of his PPE. Um, Danielle, can you remind us what our policy is at American Ambulance and what we are supposed to be doing in regards to PPE? Yes, for sure. So, you know, here um, at the agency, they've got the six foot ring, which he definitely respected. And um, so as one person goes in, you know, wearing all their gear and then invites in other people into the ring. So um, the American Ambulance policy, along with the CDC policy, is you're going to wear your eye goggles, you're going to wear your N95, you're going to have your gown on, you're going to have your gloves on, and then now we can even have a face shield over all that. And so I am so happy he was wearing all his gear so that when she spit on him, you know, this is a potentially COVID-positive patient, or he assumed a COVID-positive patient, spitting his face. So, you know, as it turned out, she did not have COVID, but you have to think of like everybody you transport if they say they have COVID or have been tested, you have to just assume they have it. So I'm glad he was wearing all the appropriate PPE. Right. It's definitely better to be safe than sorry. For sure. So Sajin, tell me, you stay up on all these numbers. I can't keep track of them all. Tell me what, what's our, what's our uh, case numbers like? Uh, you know, where are we at in America? Where are we at worldwide with this darn disease? Yeah. So let's start, we'll start broad and then we'll kind of narrow down to Fresno. Um, worldwide as of today, which is April 15th, uh, we're over 2 million cases in the world. Um, recorded at least 126,000 deaths. Um, America now leads the world with the most cases, uh, followed by Spain and then Italy and then France. You know, sometimes um, we want America to be the leader, but really not, not in, this in this case. No. It's really sad to me. I know. Um, so in America, uh, we have about 614,000 cases, um, over 26,000 deaths. And most of those are unfortunately in New York. New York leads the country in with almost 200,000 cases, uh, followed by New Jersey, and then Michigan, California, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, all kind of hovering around 25,000. And then narrowing down a little bit more to where we live, Fresno County, we, as of April 14th at 4.30 p.m., we had 251 confirmed cases and seven confirmed deaths related to COVID. And of course, the amount that we've been testing and the way we've been testing really underestimates the true number of cases that we might have in the community. Wow. I know. I wish we could just test everybody all the time. Um, you know, one of the problems with testing is, um, this test tests for acute active disease. So if you have no symptoms, it's really hard to grab that viral particle and really find it. So I know I have a lot of family members and people come up to me and say like, oh, should I get tested? You know, I, I was around somebody with COVID, but I have no symptoms. But really, we're not there yet. We can't test for your antibody to it, but we can try to test if you have the active virus. And we can talk about it later, but there are actually labs coming out with the serology testing and trying to make it more accessible to patients and healthcare providers. And hopefully that starts rolling out over the next few months but I think we're still a ways away. Yeah, sadly. I mean, that would be your goal to see if you have immunity to it. But now right. what do you think, um, Sajin, about there's these different strains of, so say I had the immunity, say I took the test and I was like, oh, Danielle's got IgG, which is the protective, you know, I've got antibodies to this disease versus IgM, which is I have the acute disease. So they test me and I have IgG. I mean, I've got antibodies. For some reason, I got exposed to it, didn't know it. And antibodies, do you think now I don't have to wear PPE? Oh, I wish that were the case. <laughs> Unfortunately, as we know, um, coronavirus actually itself is 
member of one of the viruses that caused the common cold. And we know that just because we've had the common cold once doesn't mean we can't have the cold again. Um, and there are actually cases uh, from China of people getting reinfected and getting really sick the second time they get reinfected. Um, and the virus can mutate and it can have different genotypes and can cause different types of disease in the same person. So unfortunately, we're going to have to be really vigilant throughout this whole process. Right. So I think that's a good take home point just to remember everybody that even if you have the IgG, even if you say, oh, I got Corona, I'm good. You're still going to wear your mask because what if the next patient gives you a different type of coronavirus? Um, so we, I talked about some of these numbers, but Danielle, where are we at in terms of beds in Fresno County and ICU beds? Are we prepared for a big surge or how are we doing? Yeah, so I'm really happy to report that, you know, uh, community medical centers where we work is prepared. You know, we have lots and lots of open beds. So this morning, the numbers reported right now, there's only six positive patients at CRMC downtown and five positive patients at Clovis Community Hospital. Um, and those are inpatients. And so of those, two of them in the ICU at both places. So really, that's a very low number. And if you look at um, ICU beds, you know, right now we have um, over 25 open ICU beds at CRMC. So that's a lot of beds and they can flux. They have this huge ability to, the, to go up. And so we have hundreds of ICU beds capability if we turned other non-traditional ICU wards into ICU beds. So yes, if that first surge comes, um, I know people are talking about next week or two weeks after, like, when are we going to surge? We're, we're ready for it. I have to say that uh, we're prepared at all facilities and I'm, I'm really happy to report that. I'm really glad. Um, the models from, I think, a week or two ago were expecting the surge between the 20th and the 22nd or 23rd. Um, so that's coming up next week. Uh, but the more recent models are saying maybe our social distancing hasn't quite, isn't quite as good as it was in the beginning of March. Uh, so we may have a surge kind of later on. Um, so I think, again, it's just really important for everyone to stay vigilant, keep your PPE on, take all of these social distancing measures really seriously, because we don't want to cause a surge when there doesn't need to be one. Right. And I think sadly to report that this is going to be the new normal, the new normal for healthcare, the new normal for first responders and EMS, that you've always got to wear your mask. And this may might go on for a year. And so I, I know it's hot when you wear those masks. I know it's itchy. I've got more acne than I ever wanted in my whole life. But it's really important that we uh, take these measures now to protect ourselves because it's low level. Until we have a vaccine, it's going to be really important. There's a Harvard study that actually came out, I think yesterday, um, where they're saying that if we don't have a great robust vaccine, that we may have to continue these social distancing measures into 2021. Wow. It's a long time of no birthday parties and no celebrations. Right. Um, now, one thing I want to talk about is the concept of herd immunity. Um Tell me what you know, Saj, about herd immunity. Do you think we'll ever achieve herd immunity here in California? So we could say, forget that vaccine. We don't need it. We can just do herd immunity. So the concept comes from if enough people have the disease or have had the disease and have built up antibodies to the disease, that maybe we won't be spreading around as quickly as we would have on the initial uh, surge. Kind of like the flu shot, right? So right. if enough people get the flu shot, they have these built-in immunities. And then the few people who don't get the flu shot, we kind of protect them. Right. Um, so we estimate, for example, with the flu, that we need at least 70% of the population to have these antibodies to try and create this herd immunity. And unfortunately, we're just nowhere near that. Well, thankfully, we're nowhere near that. But also, unfortunately, we're nowhere near knowing if we have that because in California, we've only tested about 5% of the population. So we don't even know what the other 95% is doing. Um, and 
Right. And California only has, I'm trying to think of my stats here, like 26,000 cases. So, you know, there's millions and millions of people in California. There's no way we're going to get herd immunity just by those few cases being positive. Right. So either mass exposure or mass vaccination, um, we don't have either of those things yet. So we're really not poised to have any sort of herd immunity in the near future. Right. So vaccine is kind of our only hope. And until then, uh, social distancing. Yeah. So where did social distancing even come from, Danielle? You know, I think it comes from past um, pandemics like the Spanish flu 100 years ago, that cities who canceled parades and canceled big fairs and canceled things did very well. And other cities like Philadelphia who didn't cancel these big parades and big social gatherings, you know, half their population died. So we are nowhere near that. Luckily, with coronavirus, social distancing got enforced very early, especially in California. And we're not seeing that. But um, it's been a public health measure for hundreds of years that, and it makes sense, right? If we all separate, it would just die out. Even in Ebola, they do social distancing, right? I get it. I die. I can't give it to anybody else if no one else is around me. Right. And we, we know that the r naught, which is the amount of people that you could infect if you become infected, is around two to three. Um, we see that in very densely populated areas, like, for example, the Princess cruise ship, the r naught was actually 15 or 16. So they're saying if one guy got it, they're going to give it to 16 other people. Right, just because of the proximity and, of course, the hygiene issues and things that, are, that go along with being on a cruise ship. But that may be one of the reasons why New York was also a little bit more heavily affected than California is right now, just in terms of population density. Right. And I'm assuming, too, they're a travel hub. They've got these international um, hubs. So if one person travels from somewhere else, they give it to 15 other people. Um, and that that's a sad thing for our, our fellow people in New York and, and what they're going through. Right. And we know that um, or we at least believe that you can pass along the virus based on the inoculum that you have, not necessarily um, the time that you have had it so for can example, you explain that a little more inoculums just for everybody who doesn't remember all their micro classes yeah so it kind of depends on how much of the virus you have will change the number of people you can spread it to um, so for example there are these cases of quote-unquote super spreaders um, where they've studied these people in china who are actually spreading it to 50 or 60 people um, as opposed to just the two or three we believe that those people may have just had more virus in their system and with their coughs and sneezes they're actually spreading around a little bit more than somebody who may have mild symptoms or um, a small dose of the virus and it does make you worried because, you know, one of the stats um, is 10% of all those affected in California, so about 2,500, are healthcare workers and first responders. So you wonder, are we super spreaders because we're getting little small doses of this virus a lot, or are we not? And it's hard to know from, our, our, from China and other countries. Right. And that 10% is actually pretty consistent throughout the country as well. So there's quite a few healthcare workers that are, that are getting infected. Yeah. And that is, that's why we want you um, out there in the field who are coming in contact with people every day. Um, one thing I want to talk about is new symptoms. So, you know, uh, I want to say in the olden days, four weeks ago, <laughs> we thought that to have coronavirus, you had to have a fever and you had to cough. So, um, Sajin, can you share with us, like, what are some other symptoms we're seeing in our patients? Yeah. So now we know that up to 50 to 60 percent of the people who come in um, actually don't even have a fever when they come in as their first symptom. And up to 10 to 15 percent of these people only have GI symptoms, which is nausea, vomiting, diarrhea or abdominal pain. And it gets harder and harder to screen. Um, but I think hopefully with uh, in the next few weeks, if we start to implement some sort of mass testing, that we can start catching all these people. But right now, we just don't really have the capacity. 
Right. And I know in our hospital and other hospitals in town, they're trying to separate like what we call a cold zone and a warm zone, right? So based on your history, say, oh, you've got abdominal pain, you can't have COVID. And then like, oh, you're coughing and you have a fever and, and it's been more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see where we go in the future in the next couple of weeks. Are we going to be all one big warm zone? Or are we going to really try to separate that out? And like you said, testing will really help us. But I think in the field, um, you need to remember that if um, your patient just has diarrhea, you might want to still be in your full PPE precautions because nowadays this could be COVID. Um, definitely if they have a fever and diarrhea or fever and GI symptoms, make sure you're wearing your N95 and the full, the full six-foot ring. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk about um, some help for our future treatments. So I know that it's really supportive care, it's oxygenation, it's ICU support. You know, they've got some trials going on with drugs, but anything locally uh, going on that you know about? So actually, the Central California Blood Center is proudly announcing that they will be the first blood center in the U.S. to produce pathogen-reduced plasma from patients who have recovered from the coronavirus. What that means is someone who's been infected and recovered from the virus has developed antibodies in their blood, and the blood center is trying to recruit those people and create, uh, remove the plasma from their blood and trying to collect those antibodies. And the sickest of the sick people who really need some help we may be able to transfuse those antibodies into those sick people and hopefully give them a boost. And we saw this with the Ebola crisis. Um, you know, it was very small numbers with Ebola, but people who had survived Ebola, they took their plasma. You know, of course, it's not FDA approved. Um, it's, I guess it's approved by the FDA on an emergency basis, I should say. It's not FDA approved for just routine care. Right. Um, but basically giving these antibodies. So if you think about it, you survived, you have all these antibodies, you just give them to somebody who's, not, who's struggling. And that, that really helps them. It seems like some of the deaths aren't occurring because of COVID alone. It's like their systemic inflammatory response to the illness. So this would help them have a better response, antibody response. Right. So this is based on a couple of um, studies that they've tried to do this on. One out of China with about five, I think, five patients um, that they published in JAMA, actually. Um, These patients were really sick. They'd been in the hospital for at least 10 or 12 days already. And then they got the plasma transfusion and their, their respiratory illness improved over the next few days. And within a week, their um, antibodies had surged and their virology testing had come down a lot. Um, and then we had done a U.S. study as well. And there were 10 patients that tolerated the single dose well. And again, at about a week, they had shown some improvement. So there may be some data behind this and hopefully we can start using it for maybe some of the sicker patients. Yeah, that'd be great. I know there's small studies, just numbers of five and 10, but right now with this, we don't have many options. People are really sick in the ICU. And what I love about it is here in Fresno, good old Fres, yes, <laughs> is, uh, is paving the way for the rest of the country. And who knows, maybe our plasma from Fresno can go to other places and help people in other states who are really suffering um, from this. So it's really great. So we had mentioned some of the serology testing earlier. Danielle, I think you had mentioned you knew some other countries around the world who are using this to their advantage. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, it was interesting. There was a publication that came out today that talked about the United Arab Emirates and the Dubai Health Authority, that they're actually testing people before they get on airplanes. 
So, you know, after 9-11, our security totally changed, right? We had to go through a whole new thing. You're taking off your shoes. And so I imagine that this is going to be our new norm. So now you take off your shoes and then, oh, get a little finger poke. And so the idea is they take a tiny bit of blood, kind of like you would an AccuCheck. And then um, they're reporting that within 10 minutes, they have the results available. Then you have a mask on, then you're able to get onto your airplane. So just an extra 10 minute step. And they have, um, it looked like in the picture, about 20 healthcare providers lined up. I'm guessing they're like EMTs or paramedics, or I'm not sure what their categories are, but they can't get on an airplane until they have a negative IgM test. So the acute illness test within 10 minutes. Right. So maybe the IgG won't be helping us too much in terms of um, conferring uh, immunity, but maybe the IgM will tell us if you're actively infected and actively passing around the infection. Yeah, and I kind of see this also as maybe our new future for elective surgeries. You know, somebody wants to get their knee replaced right now, or, you know, they have arthritis and their shoulder scoped. Everyone's on hold, right? You're social distancing. The surgeons don't want to have an operation. They don't want you to get sick afterwards. And so maybe this would be the way to test them. You know, do your IgM test. Do you have it? If not, you can have your surgery. Wow. We'll see. More to follow. So what are our take-home points? If anyone takes away one thing from this, um, Sajin, what do do you want to tell them? So my take-home point today is just to thank everyone. We wanted to just say thank you. We hope we're not the first people or the last people to say this to you today. Um, But thank you for each and every moment you look out for our community. Thank you for responding to every call with the highest integrity and diligence and care to make the place where I live a better place. And these may be especially tough and scary times, but we know that you do this job every day, no matter what's happening in the world, and we absolutely appreciate it. Thank you for doing what you do. I totally second that. My take point is a ditto. And also, please, please, please continue to wear your PPE and follow the PPE guidelines. I can't stress PPE more. I'm sure you're sick of those three letters. You don't want to hear about PPE anymore. That is the one thing we know that keeps us safe. So thank you for all you do. And a big thank you to Dustin for being here today, sharing his story. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, And we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.